Welcome to The Pieces Thesis, a bi-monthly podcast where we annotate a musical work of art to engage with its thesis how it was intended to be. I'm your host, Uncle Sel. All right, everybody. So welcome to the first official season of the Pieces Thesis. Honestly, I'm so incredibly excited to be doing this. I, this, me podcasting has been something that I've had on the back burner for an incredibly long time. And I've wanted to kind of launch this just to kind of really unpack what happens when I listen to a song was going on in my brain. <laughs> um, because I, I feel like I end up having a whole bunch of, honestly, theses <laughs> about what's going on in the song, about what they're specifically talking about. Um, and it really honestly just became something that I was like, all right, let's just let's just dive in and do it. Let's just make it happen. Um, we've kind of waited long enough. And if 2020 told us anything, is that this is maybe the year to start launching and kind of diving into new experiences and just trying out, seeing what works and just keep keep rolling, rolling with the punches. So just so you guys are aware, um, we do actually have notes for each episode. Um, they'll be posted in the Google Family Drive. So if you want to follow along as we're going through each episode and kind of doing a little bit of our annotation, or if you just want to go and do your own research about whatever we've been talking about that week, all those resources will be available to you on that Google Drive. So definitely check that out um, and you know just let me know how you feel about it because I thought that it would be really cool for you guys to have those resources available. So just let me know because I think it'll be really good for you. Also, one more thing, I want to unpack just a little bit of the overarching theme for this season, the things we yearn for. Um, and so I kind of wanted to dive into a whole bunch of songs and just discuss how the topic may be, the topic of that song may just be detailing the things that the writer was yearning for at that time, the things in our heart that we're kind of reaching out for that we don't necessarily have with us immediately. And just kind of, I wanted to see where we could go with that topic. So for today's episode, dun, 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 we will be annotating Cool People by Chloe and Hallie. They are an R&B duo composed of sisters Chloe Bailey, born in 1998, and Halle Bailey, born in 2000. They are Georgia Rays, Los Angeles-based actresses, Grammy-nominated artists. They're S-tier songwriters, producers, multi-instrumentalists. They honestly are wonderful. I love them. <laughs> um, cool People is from the duo's debut album, The Kids Are Alright, which was released on March 23rd, 2018 through Parkwood Entertainment. It was written by the sisters alongside James Ryan Ho, also known as Malay, who produced the track. Kind of my own personal experience with this song, this piece really marks a season of my life where I started to listen more intently to songs um, and really started to digest them as I kind of processed through what they were saying, how they were articulating their thoughts and ideas about the world around them. And it was just, it was honestly just, it's kind of like a, a place marker, which I think makes it perfect to kick off the season. Cause it was, it was a time in my life where things weren't all that great but they were aligned with small, intimate moments of discovery in my own musical artistry and in others. So I think it's really a good one for us to start with. Cool People is honestly an absolute gem from the Sisters' growing catalog that really aims to discuss a sense of yearning for emotional relief in the context of universal issues and even can be more specific in talking about um, relief that comes from catering to one's own mental health and just starting a dialogue that acknowledges the severity of your current struggles. So let's let's unpack this thesis <laughs> um, and discover how they actually articulated that sentiment.
else, as, as we'll kind of discuss in each episode, um, we do need to unpack the importance of understanding the artist's perspective at the time that they were writing this piece. Reason being is because anything that you're experiencing will actually have an effect on your perspective. I, I personally believe that every interaction that you have with the world around you fundamentally changes who you are. And I think that it's through those interactions that we continue to grow and continue to develop and actually become the person that we are meant to be. And so I think it's important for us to really analyze not only just the music itself, but also take into consideration what was happening in the lives of the writer at the time that they were creating this song. Because it, it honestly is, a, is the place where they birthed this piece of art that we now have and that we get to experience. But to really fully understand its thesis, to understand what it's trying to tell us about the world around us, I think we also need to kind of get into that mindset of whatever the writer had. Um, when they were creating this. So let's kind of let's kind of backtrack a little bit about Chloe and Halle. They were actually signed to Parkwood Entertainment in 2015 after gaining a lot of traction from covers on their YouTube channel, um, awards for their live performances, and a, a couple of cameos of varying proportions throughout their acting careers. They actually began to tour with Beyonce and Andrew Day. Um, they were performing at larger events like the BET Awards, Coachella, South by Southwest. They, they, they had a lot going on. They were releasing their EP, Sugar Symphony, they released a mixtape, The Two of Us. Um, all this stuff was happening right around their age of, I think, like 17 and 18 or, or 16 and 18 or somewhere around there. This is honestly their first time really having to navigate entertainment spaces at this level. They, of course, had grown up uh, performing and acting all from the ages of seven and five. But their, their sixth album contract with Parkwood really marked a step into the dreams that they, that they held during their childhood. Um, and it really, it really was a catalyst into the unknown for them, being signed to Beyonce's <laughs> uh, record label. That's, that's kind, of, it's kind of important. So as quoted from an interview with iHeartRadio that they did, Halle stated about the theme, the main theme of the whole album, sometimes as the youth, you feel the weight of the world is on your shoulders. But the album is just a reminder that no matter what happens, everything is going to be okay in the end. I think that they were honestly increasing their awareness of naive thinking that they had carried from their childhood with evidence coming from the dramatic shift in their branding between their first and second studio albums. There's like a giant shift from everything being kind of more like lighthearted and like, hey, we're here and we're going to we're going to make a difference in the world. Everything's going to be great. Even though things kind of suck right now, we're going to we're going to we're going to find some way to be positive about the world around us versus their next album, The Ungodly Hour, which is super, super, well, I won't say it's super dark, but it's a lot darker than The Kids Are All Right. Even just in the title, The Kids Are All Right versus The Ungodly Hour. Like there's that, there's that dramatic shift in branding. And I honestly feel that in many ways they were and honestly still are under immense pressure as black female creatives in America who caught the attention of one of the biggest icons in entertainment history. And this is again happening all before they were even in their 20s. So I think it's incredibly plausible <laughs> um, that they struggled to maintain a healthy mental state during these years. And I think the music on the album also continues to point us, the listener, to that direction and to that thesis. Um, that songs like Warrior, Down, High Low, Baby on a Plane even is, is just like kind of very uh, few words as it is. Um, and even today's centerpiece, Cool People, all circle around the idea of them having to navigate new spaces and manage their own mental health. And on top of all this, regardless of their personal life, on top of 
everything else that was going on for them specifically, there were a whole bunch of societal issues happening near the release of this album that really played into the mental state of the of of honestly the the sisters. And when you consider all these things in the in the context of writing and actually trying to articulate an idea about what you're trying to say, again, we have to consider all the things that come into consideration, what was going on with them specifically, what was going on around them and in their world. So at the time, right around um, when, when the album was being released in 2018, there were a lot of uh, societal issues like charge debates over gun control in America. We had a whole bunch of mass shootings happening around that time and honestly still are. There were increased reportings of sexual assault with the globalization of the Me Too movement. Um, there were, you know, murders of, of unarmed black citizens in America by law enforcement that, again, affects all of us directly. Um, so there were, there were a ton of things that were happening um, for them to, to really have to consider while they were writing for this album. And so I wanna, I wanna pause here for a second just to encourage you. <laughs> if you have not listened to this song, if you have not listened to Cool People by Chloe and Hadley, I would highly, highly, highly encourage that you go listen to it now. Pause this, go listen to um, the actual song and then come back while we go through and actually kind of dive into and unpack a lot of the things that are being talked about in this. What is the point of this song and how does it fit into the album as a whole? I mentioned before that I honestly believe the song is discussing the relationship between adulthood, mental health, and emotional relief. I think it's, it's primarily those three topics. Um, and I think if the song could be summed up into just a single sentence, it would probably be, despite the craziness of my world, I find that I will be okay because of the goodness manifested in people like yourself. Craziness being anything political, racial, social, internal, external pressures of expectations, and just the transitory process of being young and emerging into the world no longer as your parent's child, but as a strong connection point between the past and the present and the future. And I, I just think that this is specifically speaking to what is supposed to be happening as you're going through that trans transitory process, how you're actually growing in your own mental strength, in your own emotional health, um, in your own just situational awareness. I think that this is really a song that acknowledges the difficulties of adolescence, but doesn't just stay there, but it looks forward to the struggles and the successes of the future. I think it's a moment of acceptance at the end of the album that honestly behaves as a final restatement of its title. Everything will be okay. The kids will be all right. This piece really just seems to remind us of the importance of interpersonal relationships and the value of safe spaces filled with people that we can be vulnerable with. It stands as a testament to the power of honesty in our struggles with those who are actually in our corner. And, and this is, I think, also backed up by a tweet that they put out on December 19th of 2018 when, when while they were promoting the launch of Cool People's music video. They said, Cool People is a song we wrote that is an infinite love letter to all the beautiful people that make a difference in this crazy world right now. Remind somebody how much you appreciate them. Life is short. So I think with all of these things that we've kind of discussed so far, um, we kind of have to account for their words that reinforce the primary ideas of this song that community can be an antidote for insanity, right? Um, and that we are honestly each other's brothers and sisters keeper.
let me let me pause real quick. I know I'm reading through these notes, but I also just want to say real quick, and I'm, I'm gonna get a little bit closer so y'all can really hear the sincerity of my voice. Um, I really love Chloe. <laughs> I am I am I'm a little bit stricken by her. <laughs> um, she I think is honestly an incredible vocalist, and that girl fine. So I this is honestly again a part of the reason why this is the first episode because I just needed to address the fact that we we are in 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 a time where we are we're experiencing a beautiful woman give us art that is also beautiful. So I just. I'm not really ready, but I am. <laughs> um, so let's let's just kind of go into the lyricism and the vocal performance and the production of the song and just really see how they conveyed their specific idea. So first and foremost, first a little bit of musical analysis. This song is in the key of A major, okay? So we're starting on A. We are going to B, C sharp, D, E, F sharp, and a G sharp before we get right back to A, okay? The main chord progression of the song is a one seven going to a three, which we will talk about this. This, this specific chord progression, the, the reason that it's the main one of the song is very, very important. We also see a major four going to a minor four. We see a six going to five, going to one, and then right around the end, we see two, three, four, again, this one seven going to three is super, super, super important. It actually helps to, and like I always talk about, it helps to actually build the sonic image of the song. This one seven being a little bit dissonant because of that seven that's hanging out there, and you can hear it on uh, the note that they actually sing to start off the verse. Forgive me now, my heart, that note right there. That one that they're singing actually is the seven of this chord. So they're they're trying to emphasize like we're we're in a space where it's sweet but it's also dissonant. A major theme in the song is I think the imagery of storm clouds coming and clearing. When you look up in the sky, you know it's going to storm, you know that there's like a thunderstorm near and the clouds are super 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 dark and then later in the day like you start to see everything clear out and the actual sun you can see the sun you can still see a little bit of the clouds but you know that they're like on their way out they're not coming back to rain more the the storms are over everything's headed away i think that's a very very major point of the song we're going to get into that when we start doing our lyrical analysis but for right now just keep that in the back of your mind that that one seven going to three is indicative of storm clouds and storm clouds leaving now, we have a little bit of color happening every now and then when they add a seven to this three chord, and it makes it so rich, it makes it so sweet. And then we also have this four with a six right at the end. It comes in once, and it's so good. It helps to really build this richness at that moment of the song where uh, uh, Chloe is doing this run all the way up into the atmosphere. <laughs> and there's this glissando that's happening in the in the accompaniment and like everything is just like leading upwards and upwards and upwards. But they add that, that, that little six onto this minor four chord. Such a good moment, such a beautiful moment. So we see um, the emptiness of the orchestration during the first verse. We don't really hear much, even when we start the song, we just get one single electric guitar doing a little bit of finger picking. Then two voices, or not two, well, yeah, two voices of guitar happening in the left and right ears, plus this one that's still in the center that we started with. Then we get Hallie first, who starts us off, and then later on in the second verse with Chloe. But I think that that's 
the 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 stripped down nature of just that i think it's symbolic of like emotional emptiness um which is later honestly contrasted by like the additional guitars that come in the pads and the bass and like all the other instruments that come during the chorus where you kind of have more of a sense of community around but when you start off i think it's very very indicative of like okay i'm here but i do feel alone i feel very emotionally weighed down and then later on contrasted with you know, other people being present and actually having a, a moment of relational intimacy uh, between, you know, yourself and uh, anyone who you actually connect with in a safe space. So I think there's many things about the chord progressions and the key of the song and everything like that, all the orchestration that kind of, again, point us in the direction of thinking, okay, this song is about yearning for that emotional relief because we're in this stressful time a lot of stuff is weighing us down we've got a lot on our plate and we're still being asked to perform at a level of excellence that we honestly have to ascribe to we don't have an option if you're assigned to beyonce's label you better not be trash. you can't be trash you got here through excellence and you're going to continue in that excellence so i think all these different topics and all these different things about just the music alone is helping get us to that point of okay it's it's troublesome but there's relief there's relief on the horizon. So there's there's one thing that I want to emphasize, and I actually tell this to all of my composition students whenever we're writing through lyrics. Your lyrics should actually sound like art, regardless of if you have music playing with it or if you're even giving a specific cadence in your delivery. So, for instance, um, right here at the beginning of this song, Hallie's singing, forgive me now my heart, it don't know where to start. There's a certain groove that she sings it, right? Forgive me now my heart. You're leading into the downbeat, right? So there's, there's a little bit of cadence happening there in the way that you deliver the lyric. But I honestly believe that your lyric should 100% be artistic, regardless of if you have any music playing or if you have like a, a specific delivery happening. The reason why I say that is because many people who have these giant vaults and catalogs of songs that are just unreleased, like you never even um, release them, you never really do too much with them. But at the end of the day, I think we should still be able to appreciate the art that you made, even though it doesn't have anything that was in your brain attached to it, we should still see the value in it just from reading through the lyrics alone. So I, I honestly do believe that lyrics should have that quality to them. This is this is part of being able to write on brand, um, being able to, to write music that still goes with what it is you're wanting to articulate both sonically and visually of your brand. Um, being able to write those lyrics that are like, oh, this sounds like that specific person. This sounds like you talking. This sounds like something you would write. All that is leading into um, your branding and making sure that you, your brand is a solid front, that it's, it, everything is solidified and everything is on point. So again, when you're writing lyrics, it should honestly be poetry. It should still roll off your tongue as something creative and artistic, regardless of if you add the cadence of the delivery to it or if you have the music, it should still be art, regardless. I love this song. Again, like I talked about before, this is one of the pieces that, that came to me in a time where, you know, life was kind of crazy. Things weren't, you know, all that I thought that they were going to be. Um, there was a lot of chaos happening and I, there was just a lot of just dysfunction in general. There's a lot of 
literary tools and text painting and all these keywords that are happening in this song that really point us again to that sense of yearning for emotional relief during a time of, of, of stress and just anxiety and having to, to process through all of that. So I have a couple notes <laughs> and I kind of want to want to talk through. Um, let's let's start with the intro. We've we've touched on this chord progression a little bit already. This one seven three again is the bass chord progression for this song. It's reminiscent of dark thunderclouds that are producing often on rain, a major symbolic theme throughout this piece that is indicative of distress, depression, and a dark mentality. It's again, a relationship between dissonance and resolution. So as we are going through this piece, we can actually take into consideration what, is, what does that dissonance and resolution mean? If you're following along with me, on the Family Google Drive, you'll actually have season one, episode one links and resources for cool people. If you scroll all the way to the bottom, we have this little image of our A major scale that we've already talked about, all of the chords that are included for this A major scale and how to play them. And right in this third line, we have dissonance and resolution giving two examples. We have this G sharp and this D coming into res resolve on an A and a C sharp. That is a major dissonance coming in to resolve very sweetly. But we also have a moment where you can have a G sharp and a B both resolving down to an A, right? That still, you know, is going to provide some dissonance, but it's not as intense. It's not as drastic as it would be with the relationship of that G sharp and that D coming down to A and C sharp. It's not, it's not as intense. So when we have moments of dissonance and resolution, they can be very dramatic or they can actually be very casual. Both of them though, do get our ear to want to lean toward hearing something that when it happens, we're like, okay, that's good. <laughs> we feel safe. We feel like, all right, that's that's the resolution we've been waiting for. This actually is happening in this one seven to three chord progression. We have the dissonance of that seventh being added to that one chord, then going into that three chord, which is, is minor. So you're getting this resolution that's like, all right, we're resolving, but uh, we're not still quite there yet. We're hearing it, but it's not right where we want it to be. This, it's almost like it's just not, it doesn't fit quite well, but it's almost like giving you that sense of like this dark thundercloud and then it resolves and it's like, oh man, more rain. <laughs> I thought, I thought we were going to be done with this. So that's, that's just that chord progression that's happening all throughout this first verse. So we have right here, forgive me now my heart. This opening line, I think alludes to a therapy session. Honestly, you're processing, you're trying to find words to explain the situation to a therapist. You're trying to um, actually just explain yourself in general. You're trying to say like, okay, you know, I'm honestly just trying to process through this. I'm trying to figure out where I stand and what's going on in my brain. And I just, I'm just work with me. The funny thing about this though, is that this line and the next, it don't know where to start. Those two lines are connected. If you read them all together, forgive me now, my heart, it don't know where to start. That's actually a little bit of personification happening right at the start of the song. And it gives us a sense of like, okay, your, your, your heart, you're trying to project those feelings onto your heart because it's a lot for you to process in and on your own. We get this next line, my ceilings fell apart, which is very reflective of the angel saying the sky's the limit. It could just be talking about, you know, the sister's recent success and their, their sudden rise to like very public no notoriety. Um, if you even go through a lot of their songs, 
um, and just comment sections on YouTube or, or any other platform, you see so many people, not as much as they used to, but you used to see so many people that would constantly compare them to Beyonce and say like, oh, like their voices are just like Beyonce. Oh, they're performing just like Beyonce. Their, their runs are just like Beyonce. Everything was always under the comparison of someone else instead of people just appreciating and saying like, oh no, they're just fire. Like it doesn't matter like who they are reminiscent of. They just are excellent musicians, period. And so I think this line, my ceilings fell apart is reflective of that, the sky's the limit because you have this, this, this success that is now causing them to have to manage their own mental health with a very watchful eye because of the projection into the center of honestly, all Beyonce's creative endeavors. They were even included with Lemonade, like all of the video production that was done with that. And again, we have this, this 173 chord progression happening to kind of tie those three lines together. And then we get to, I've been down on the regular. I've seen things with my retina. These old days, I don't feel that much. Ooh, this line, y'all. <laughs> I've seen things with my retina. These old days, I don't feel that much. This is the first time that we get this this little uh, this little theme. It's like a tiny little theme that we see throughout this song. It's talking about this is what I see, this is what I've experienced. Therefore, this is what I feel, and this is how my perspective has changed. Okay, so I've seen things I see with my retina. These old days, I don't feel that much. Those two things, they come back around again multiple times throughout this song. This is the first time that we see it though. And it's very, very clear the way that they're wording everything. I've seen things with my retina. I don't feel that much. Again, talking about like, I've, I've now seen the world through this, this different lens. I am in the spotlight and I was not ready for all this. And now I feel stressed. <laughs> uh, these thunderclouds are here to stay. There is a great sense of imagery happening right here. And let's, let's just unpack this, this definition of imagery. You're use, utilizing any of the five senses to describe a setting or an event. So they're saying, I see, that's a, that's a sense with my retina, and now I don't feel, I don't, I'm not feeling anything. Even though this might be emotional feeling, it still is a little bit of that imagery that you're talking about. But darling, when you smile, it's like the rain dries out. This first line, there's so much honesty in this course, period. But this first line, let's, let's, let's kind of talk about it. First of all, we have some similes happening here. Darling, when you smile, it's like the rain dries out. And it also is continuing with that theme that we just talked about, I see, I feel. Darling, when you smile, I see you smile, it's like the rain dries out and now there's no more room for clouds. I feel like, okay, I've, there, I, I am in a better emotional space when I see your smile. When I get to experience your presence and being in, in a setting, an intimate setting with you, I feel better. It's, it's reflecting that same I feel or I see, I feel theme. Now, also very much important right here, we get a little bit of symbolism again happening with the rain dries out, now there's no more room for clouds. This is where I get that thundercloud primary theme in this song because it's, it's happening right here in the chorus. The rain is drying out and there's no more room for clouds because of your smile, because of this this thing that's happening, I now feel like, okay, things can not only be better, but things might even get better like soon. And if we actually pay attention right here, we have the rain dries out being on this three chord. Now there's no more room for clouds on this one chord. That's the resolution that we've been waiting for this whole song. We have a little bit of it here 
leading into the course where we have this minor four happening and then going into the one right at the start, right? But this three, talking about the rain and all the, the, the tragedy that's happening, going into this one chord, talking about the clearing of the clouds, that's what we've been waiting for. And this is the first time that we're really getting that true resolution. Because even before, when we have our one chord, it's the one seven. So it's still, it's still our one chord, it's still home, but there's that tiny little bit of dissonance that's happening because of that seven. And so now that we're in this moment of, in the chorus where we get this three chord, which is like, all right, we're going somewhere with this. And we finally get to that, that one, just a pure one chord. That's what we've been waiting for. And that's why I think this is really showcasing that thundercloud clearing out into the sun and, and all of the, the beauty of the day. Now, there's another interesting thing happening throughout this chorus. We actually get a little bit of assonance on this ooh vowel that they're singing. And I think it drives attention to the end, the, the ending line of this, okay? So we, we get an ooh in every line of this. But darling, when you ooh, smile, it's like the rain dries out. Now there's no more room, again, for clouds. Got me singing a hallelujah, hallelujah, again, two points there. When you hold my hand, it just reminds me how there's still cool people in the world. Now the interesting thing here, they don't, they're not singing this last line. The last thing that they're singing is not, there's still cool people in the world. That's not what they said. They said there's still cool people in the world. It's tying into the fact, yes, there's, of course, parts of your regional dialect and the way that you pronounce certain words and all those different things. But I also feel that this is a moment where they're tying all these different lines of this chorus together and really driving your attention to the the, the title of this song. There's still cool people in the world. Yes, that, you know, they're like we said before, they're from Georgia, like they Southern. They got a little bit of a, that uh, Southern bell in them. But I think also they are meticulous about everything that they do. And we can hear that in any other song they have with their background vocals, with the way that they actually shape their vowels to sound like each other and blend well together. I don't think that this was just like a happenstance <laughs> moment where they're saying cool people. I think it's actually intentional to tie all these lines together. And, and, and here's something else I actually really want to touch on real quick. The reason that we do all of this analysis and why we're going through and annotating the lyrics and, and the chord progressions and getting all these things together, it's not as songwriters and as composers, we're not doing this to be academic with our writing and make our writing cool just because we want it to be cool. We're just analyzing, noticing what things we actually naturally do as writers to get our point across. I don't think every single thing that happens in this song, like they were as meticulously going through this as, as much as I am right now. <laughs> I think a lot of it was just that they were writing from a place of like, all right, I'm feeling some type of way, but I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be all right. <laughs> uh, we gonna find a way to be all right. And I think some of that just happens to come out in the way that we communicate with other people. And which is, again, why music is such a universal language because we can do things like this, not even like actively thinking about it. It's just something that happens by just trying to communicate your own perspective. So I think, again, with, with, with the ooh, the assonance of the ooh and, and all these things happening, like, yeah, we can get real specific and real um, academic with all this. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is really dive in and see how are you communicating your heart? How are you actually articulating the things that you're thinking and you're feeling? Um, and how, how did you do this in the context of music? How did you do this through this song? So, yes, we are very, we're going deep and in diving into all the specifics of this, but... Not all of it is, is, is maybe as intentional as we are annotating. As I'm sure y'all remember when you're in high school or middle school or wherever, and you're 
English teachers are telling you to annotate this Edgar Allan Poe. And it's just like, I, I don't think that he was trying to say that the curtains were blue. Maybe they were just blue. <laughs> but I think it's indicative of, okay, maybe he was just in a sad place. And so blue became his favorite color. And that reflected the fact that he was sad. It's more of a nuancing in that respect than they're specifically choosing. I'm going to say blue here. <laughs> when you hold my hand... It just reminds me how there's still cool people in the world. I think this is alluding to that I experience, I think, um, or I experience, I see, I now feel, and this is my perspective. I think this is another moment where they're doing that. When you hold my hand, when this specific thing happens, this is the response. I know that there's cool people in the world. Let's talk about this cadence right here. This is this is an important moment. So what first first and foremost, let's unpack what is a cadence. Um, if you actually go back, I I did a video on I think it was just maybe sonic imagery. I think oh I think it was I think it was specifically just talking about sonic imagery, and I used the the analogy of like a five one cadence is like a healthy sustainable relationship, right? Whereas like a five six cadence is more unstable. It's like you're not really sure. Um, what's going on, you feel some type of way about it. We actually get a 5-1 cadence right here at the end of this chorus. The whole chord progression for this chorus, we have a one, a three, back to a one, back to a three. Then we get six, five, and then one seven. Again, what we talked about before, that one seven, that extra little bit of flavor right there adds a little bit of dissonance. It's like you know that you're home, but it doesn't fully feel right. We have this moment where we're getting this five, which leads us directly into one. It always wants to go back to home, which is one. But we're getting the sense of home that's like, man, this isn't quite where I want to be. It's reflective of what we're talking about with this song, where there's this, this, this cloud of like, all right, this weight of, of, of our situation, and we know that we're going to be all right, and we know things are going to be okay, but it just sucks right now. It reflects the fact that the person's smile and their concern for you and them just being able to connect with you, it doesn't actually eliminate the negative people and the negative experience that started your disposition and it doesn't remove the effects that it had of it. It, it, it is a solvent, it helps you process through that, but that person doesn't actually remove the, the situation. It doesn't take you out of the situation that you're now in. This is yet again another moment of getting that dark thundercloud imagery, right? The symbolism throughout this song of like this one seven being that that dark cloud of like it's clearing. You're not sure if it's going to start ringing again. And honestly, that's a lot of what depression feels like. I don't I don't know about y'all, but I do um, struggle with with depression and 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 having to process through what is going on in my brain. And that's honestly kind of what this one seven feels like. It feels like that that cloud is just hanging around and you're not really sure when it's gonna fully go away. It's It seems like it's clearing, but it might come back. And we're leading right from this one seven, right back into the verse with a three. Again, storm clouds clearing and staying. The funny thing about this song is that Verse two is honestly the antithesis of verse one. It solidifies the I see, I feel theme in this song, because this is, I think, maybe the third or fourth time that we're actually getting a line of, of, this, of this I see, I feel. It actually is completely opposite of verse one because originally they were saying, all right, you know, I am experiencing all this craziness. You know, the sky was the limit and now we, the, the sky is caving in on us. <laughs> Y'all said go for, for the stars. We actually out here about to, 
be broke down. I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, whereas now in the second verse, they're like, all right, I actually have the therapeutic support of you. And now all this time has passed and I feel, you know, the, the weight lifted off of me. I've seen things with my retina. These old days, I don't feel that much, right? Right at the end, again, that I see, I feel. This is where I wanna kinda of go into a little bit of the vocal analysis. I am in love with Chloe and her voice, it do something. When we hear her start this verse, this beautiful woman gives us this light and airy and raspy tone. It's so, it's so good, it's so good. And like the fact that she just eases into it it creates, honestly, the sense of emotional intimacy in this song. I don't know if y'all have ever had the experience, but when you're really, really close to someone and they're just kind of like whispering to you like sweet nothings, like they're just in your ear and they're just like, you know, like, I just love everything about the way that you blink. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's it's really just like that that intimacy that you're very close to someone and you're sharing these like very... Um, personal thoughts and emotions. And I think that she's giving us that here with the with her vocal delivery. I think that she actually is doing this because it feels very vulnerable and she's almost like whispering these confessions throughout this verse. It just enhances what the lyrics are actually talking about and the production, how it just kind of like drops back down. Again, what we talked about with that single guitar being like very alone in the emotions. You're dropping down in this moment back to this verse and it's like giving you this intimacy that just uh, is so good. I love her voice so much. I want to go right here to the end, right where she has vocal fry happening on this phrase, lifted up. If you're following along on the season one, episode one, links and resources page, we have a little bit of a vocal annotation rubric. Vocal fry is, is that thing that happens, kind of what we were just discussing when you're, when you're very close to someone and you can hear the subtle rasp or like the scratchiness of their voice. When you can hear that little bit of like trailing off. The funny thing is though, the way that she's using it here, it almost feels like she's like, I'm giving you this energy, I'm giving you this sense of like, I know I'm gonna be okay. Like there's just that confidence, that just like little bit of like swagger in her voice that's just like, all right, we gonna be fine. And then to kind of pair with that, we get this moment of text painting. We get her singing this word high, and she actually goes to this high note that right all the way up there. And she's, She's in a very good place in her voice where she's able to sing that full and it sounds so great, right? All of that is text painting, where she's going high and the note is actually high. Text painting, wonderful tool. You should use it sometime. <laughs> There's so much happening in this bridge. We talked about before, way back before, um, when we were talking about this, this two, three, four chord progression happening in this bridge. The beautiful thing about this is that this two has a little bit of dissonance. Then we go to this three, and we know this three usually is like, all right, you know, I kind of want to go to six, but we end up going to four. And not only is it four, but it's major four. And not only is it major four, it's major four with an add two. That is a very specific sound that's very rich and it's very welcoming. I don't know if y'all are churchgoers, but usually when you end a worship song, you end on the floor. <laughs> and it's like this open feeling of like, all right, there's rest. And there's just this openness that just rolls out of the piano and it's so good. 
We also have the seven happening on this three right before that four. That seven adds a little bit of tension. It adds a little bit of, um, of dissonance that makes us wanna go even further into where we're going headed next. So as we're seeing this, we're like, all right, we get this two, this three, seven. Oh man, like where are we headed? And then we get to this rest, this four add two. In the second half of this bridge, we get this two going again to that three, seven. We go to this four, major four at two. We go to this minor four. And then finally, this four at six. What is the purpose of this moment? Why is this happening? It's super, super important because it serves as actually an amen cadence. This four going to one. It actually justifies the hallelujah that they're actually talking about in the chorus. Got me singing hallelujah. Right there. If you go into your your uh, your history on church music from way back long ago, we actually see a lot of this happening. You're going from four, resolving to one. That just was just what you did in any kind of choral setting. That's just how you end a church song, period. And so I think that they're kind of reflecting on that in this moment where they have this heavily extended dissonance of going to this minor four, then you go to this minor four with an add six. You're creating all this tension, that crazy glissando that's happening in the accompaniment. I think it's this final extension of this, this thunderstorm, this dissonance, and then you resolve right on the one. And so this is, this is such an incredible moment of text painting because we get all of this, we've, we've been talking about this thunderstorm, this whole song. We've, we've been getting all these clues and hints as to what their perspective was and why they were writing in this specific way and what was going on, all that craziness. But then we get to this moment here at the end of the bridge and it's like this final resolution of like, yeah, the world's crazy. There's a lot of stuff going on in my own personal world and in the world around me that's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But at the end of the day, when I see you, when I get to connect with you specifically, it just makes the world a little bit better. And I just get to re be reminded of like the goodness that is actually present here in the world. It's, it's such a good moment. And it's one of the reasons why I absolutely love this song. Cause I, it just, it does it so fluidly. It's not like you're, a lot of the, of, a lot of the, the major moments of the song are very nuanced. They're not very in your face. And so even as we kind of backtrack a little bit, going on to this little line, I let go, then I run, and we run with the rivers. There's two primary things happening here. We get a little bit of, of text painting again, because this whole bridge is just text painting for days. <laughs> there is only one moment in the song where we actually get some background vocals, which is completely atypical of Chloe and Hallie. Like they, if you listen to their music, they, they constantly have like multiple voices happening, crazy harmonies, runs, everything's going on. But if you think about it, this song actually doesn't really have much happening. It's usually just one voice, the guitar, some drums. Maybe you get, you know, both the, the sisters singing together, but it's usually just one of them for the majority of the song until we get to this point. And it actually is kind of indicative of the fact that a river is running. You kind of get that, that sense of like, oh, there's so much commotion happening. There's so much happening right here. And you get that with the fact that they have all these different stacks of vocal harmonies and, and layers of their voices coming in. It's like a river actually running. <laughs> you get that little bit of personification of the river actually running. Rivers don't run, they don't have legs. <laughs> but this moment of, of using this literary tool, um, it actually just helps to, to solidify that, um, that sense of like, okay, we're getting this cadence of, um, of rhythm, of, of you know this bubbling river that's just going and going and going. It's choppy, it feels like bubbly, it feels like chaotic, it's all this stuff happening. I just wanna, Re restate the fact that when we're doing these annotations, we're not just going through all of this just to 
be academic and just to, to be really uh, theoretical about what's happening in a song and how they're singing it and all that. We're trying to compartmentalize how do people actually articulate what they're feeling, sometimes unintentionally. Sometimes there is very specific moments, like I think we've had in this song that we've talked about, but sometimes there are very specific moments where you're trying to articulate an idea and you can't quite find the word, so you have to do actually something else to help reinforce what the best word that you can find and the best sentence that you can create. And you gotta add a little bit of something else in there to kind of help progress that emotion and progress that feeling. Let's restate, what, what is the song even talking about? First and foremost, the world is crazy, but all will be well. Secondly, communal vulnerability is key to healing. We're also talking about this is the kind of openness that doesn't pretend that the struggles are invalid, but it rather acknowledges the relationship between dysfunction and relief. Last question that we need to answer, how does the thesis of this song impact the listener's worldview? And what does it imply about our relationship with God and other people? So I think there is healing in community. Part of what they're talking about in this song is that you can't find complete and, and utter healing just within yourself by yourself. You kind of need other people because like I said before, that, that thundercloud of depression and mental illness, when that mug hits, it hits hard. And we need other people in our lives. And I think God honestly orchestrates people to be in our lives, to be that kind of resource for us, to be those people that we can lean on. Heal, forgive, love. That's the process that we have to go through. We first have to find healing so that we can then forgive the people who wounded us and then continue to walk in love toward them. This is honestly such an incredible song I can just kickstart the season with. In the next two weeks, we'll actually be going over a little bit of Tori Kelly. I am so incredibly excited to have this happening. This has been in the works for so long and I'm so incredibly relieved to just have it out and just be doing this now. New podcast every other Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. I have a new video coming out on the YouTube channel every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. And like always, y'all, heal, forgive, love. I will see you guys soon.